Welcome to the Money Maven Project Podcast. If you're here to learn how to obtain freedom over your time and money through real estate investing, you're in the right place. Create the life you want by living with intention and becoming a maven in mindset, money, and real estate. Now, here's your host, Justin Monk. Hey, this is Justin Monk with the Money Maven Project podcast. Super excited this afternoon. We have Soleil on our podcast tonight. We are going to hear her story of how she's gotten started in real estate and uh, hopefully learn a bunch from her. So go ahead and give us an idea of your background, what got you started in real estate and kind of where you're at today. Yeah, thanks for having me on the show. So I am in California, Silicon Valley, so just right outside of San Francisco. My background is in commercial real estate. So that's what I do as my day job. Um, we kind of handle like leasing and selling of commercial assets. So offices, warehouses, industrial properties, land, et cetera. Um, but as a broker, you don't, you just act as a middleman between a principal and another company. And so, I mean, you're not ever really making like the money moves. And so you have to hustle every day for your money. And that's not something that I saw myself doing forever. You know, so I looked to um, investing in real estate as just a way to grow passive income and to eventually give myself a life of financial freedom. So, yeah, so I invest in Ohio. It's uh, 2,000 miles away. Mm -hmm. And I started last year. So, last year in uh, what was it, April. And since then, I have about three properties, five doors, so two single families and a triplex. Um, my goal this year is to replace my W-2 income. And then my longer term goal is to reach $20,000 of passive income per month uh, by the time I'm 30. So I'm 20, I just turned 23. So that's in seven years. That's awesome. And we are going to cheer you on getting there. That's, <laughs> that's so cool. So um Couple, a few questions. That, um, why why Cincinnati, Ohio? What kind of got you interested in that market? So our clients for my day job, we do um, national work all across the country, and so one of we brought one of our clients from California to Cincinnati, and through that, I was able to just like see the financial analysis behind it. I toured with a bunch of developers, and I saw that there's so much going on in that city. Um, and then I just work with my price point and I happen to know people from doing business there. And so yeah. all those things just, I feel like when people are choosing markets at some point, you just have to like throw a dart. Mm -hmm. Um, else you could just like pick anything. Um, else you could just get stuck in like analysis paralysis endlessly. And so for me, it's like, well, I don't know anywhere, anywhere else really. Um, why not just start there? The prices make sense. I have a little bit of money saved up. I could buy a house for a hundred grand. Mm -hmm. And so kind of just threw the dart into some place that I had a sort of competitive advantage. Yeah. yeah, you're right. I mean, if a lot of people ask me like, well, what's the, you know, what's the unemployment rate and like, where are the jobs? <laughs> at? And I want to make sure that no employer has like more than 25% of the jobs. I'm like, well, I don't know. I went to Ohio because the houses are cheap and I could, my, yeah. capital, my capital would go a lot farther than in Northern Utah. And I'm sure it's the same thing in California. And uh, I mean, obviously I looked at some of that data, but 
Mm-hmm. Um, at the end of the day, I actually just spoke to another investor that was there and he just kind of gave me the pointers. He's like, yeah, it's been great. Here's the things to watch out for. Here's some tips. And then like the next day we were making offers. So that's um, exactly what happened to me. Yeah. I have people ask me all day long, like, what market should I choose? Like maybe I have like four or five in mind. And I was like, I don't know. At the end of the day, you look at a list on bigger pockets, top 10 cash flowing markets in the country. You could throw a dart at any of them. <laughs> you just kind of have to pick. And that's the important thing is like picking and taking action. Yeah. And that's way more important than like analyzing little details between cities. Yeah, because I think if especially when when new investors are getting started, they and I was the same way. Like it's super easy to talk ourselves out of stuff if it's not mm-hmm. perfect. And so, oh, it, I'm looking for 25% of this and it's only 24. So I guess I'll look at a different market or whatever, <laughs> you know, like or, yeah. you know, the rehab. Oh, the rehab, my my max rehab is 15 and it's $15,001. So I guess I'll look somewhere else. You know, we just, we're a little, I don't know if that's a fear thing or if we're just hesitant for making that, that leap, but we are often talk ourselves out because it's not like the perfect numbers and the perfect scenario. And so, yeah, I I agree with you. Sometimes you have to just pick a few markets that have been reported to be good by other investors and on other, you know, data lists and then go for it. And you'll find really quickly if the numbers don't make sense and then you can move on. But um, that's, that's good advice. So, um, and your preferred method is the Burr method, right? That's how you're, you're doing your properties. For the first one, unintentionally, yes. Um, I bought it with just like a conventional mortgage, um, financed it with a credit card for all like, all the renovations. It's kind of like my life savings into one property. And then after that, um, I just ran out of money. And so I needed to get creative with other modes of financing. And so I raised some private money for the second property. And that was the triplex. And then for the third property, went hard money. And so with hard money, it's kind of a necessity to do BRRRR because you can't just get stuck in that loan. Um, The first one is also a BRRRR just because I figured out... I feel like I hacked the system with that one. I added a third bedroom by hanging a door inside the dining room. (laughs) I mean, to the appraiser's eye, it's like a third bedroom. I'm like, oh, 20 grand of equity. So that was enough where I could refinance that one and pull out like, quote unquote, my life savings. And so... Um, that closes in about a month, which is exciting. And I get to reinvest all of that into new deals. That's awesome. So for the listeners that maybe haven't heard about the Burr method or what it is and why it's so cool as far as freeing your capital up, maybe explain that process to, to us really quick. About like how Burrs work? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so you buy a distressed property and you value add. And so you do improvements that would push up the value the most. So that could be adding square footage. It could be adding a bedroom or a bathroom. Um, It could honestly be like cosmetic renovations, especially to the kitchens and bathrooms, which is where appraisers look. Um, And then you push up that equity enough. So your house is appreciating. You're forcing appreciation through renovations. And then six months later, usually it's six months because of bank required seasoning periods. Um, You tell your lender, I want to refinance my property because I've done enough renovations where the value is higher. They'll usually say, okay, we'll give you 75% loan to value, which is the typical loan to value for cash out refinances. Um, And typically, if you've done it, you've done it right, you should be able to take out most, if not all of your cash 
Did you like, do you want to do a math example? Does math example help? No, that's good. And yeah, I think, I think some math, like what equation are you using to decide if it's a deal? Like, what are you buying at? Like how big of a discount do you need to make these numbers work? Ooh, you're going to do some mental math here. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think that my first property is actually like the easiest thing yeah. to think about. So it's like a hundred thousand dollar purchase price. So I put $20,000 down on the 20%. Um, down conventional mortgage, I put twenty thousand dollars into the renovations. So now I'm, I have cash of forty thousand dollars, and I'm all in for a hundred and twenty thousand dollars. And so I predicted that it was going to reappraise after renovations at one hundred and sixty thousand dollars. And so seventy five percent of one hundred and sixty is one hundred and twenty. And so essentially you're taking out a new mortgage to pay off your old mortgage. And I get to take off my get to take back my forty thousand dollars of cash and reinvest it. Yeah. So that doesn't really count closing costs, which are a lot usually. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but if you can basically take your estimated after repair value and be like extra, extra, extra conservative of that multiply by 75%, subtract your rehab costs and subtract your holding costs. And that's kind of your maximum allowable offer. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. So, so yeah, when you're looking at a property, you, you know, the, the first number you're going to find out is what the after repair value is. You take 70 or 75% of that number minus your estimated rehab costs. And that's like your target purchase price, right? You'll obviously make an offer maybe a little bit less than that. Um, but that's how you decide what you can pay for that property for the Burr method to work. And, and I think the Burr method is so cool, just like you said, because you can get your capital back out. And this was like a big thing for me when I got started in real estate, because I had one property, it was a townhome we lived in for a while, we moved out, we put renters in it, you know, that's kind of how I got started in real estate. And so I'm like, hey, this is cool. I like having this cash flow. I like having this property. So let's let's get another one. And as I learned, I'm like, oh, they want me to put 30% down or 25% down on an investment property. And I'm like, well, okay, let me let me calculate how many times I can do that. And then before I run out of money, I'm like, one. <laughs> you know? <laughs> that was, yeah, no, that was me with the Bay Area. So it was like choice of investing in the Bay Area and maybe using an FHA to acquire a $500,000 property maybe, which would get yeah. you like a shack here. Um, but then your money is just sort of sitting yeah. for a long time. And then how long does it take you to save up $50,000, like a couple years. And so yeah. it just doesn't make sense if you have plans to scale. Yeah. Um, it's just way easier to recycle your money and you don't have to have a perfect burr. So that was kind of the equation for like a perfect burr where $0 is left in the deal and it's yeah. an infinite return. Um, but like, you don't have to have that if you leave five or $10,000 in the deals, like not the end of the world. It like significantly increases your cash on cash when you can at least pull half of it out. Yeah. Um, so that's just a method. Like it doesn't have to be perfect. Real estate is so forgiving with yeah. Um, so that's like time is on your side. 10 years from now, it will be a perfect burr. Um, but maybe it's not perfect in the first six months. Yeah, that's super. You're, you're exactly right. Real estate, as scary as it seems to a lot of people, it's actually really forgiving. Like you can mess up on the scale of two, three, four, five, maybe $10,000. 
And in the long term, you're going to be okay. You can usually get that back some way. Or the next deal is like it appraises for more than you thought it was going to appraise for you. So actually, you get to take some money home in addition to your capital. So it usually balances out. And the way the way I kind of think about it, when you're doing the Burr method, you're essentially getting, let's just say, a hundred thousand dollars worth of stock in Tesla or Google, right? But you didn't have to tie up a hundred thousand dollars. That's the cool exactly part, right. It's if you, leverage the beauty of leverage in real exactly. estate. Exactly. Yeah. So I mean, I think of that other thing is a lot of people look at year one returns, and so they'll look at how much they left in the deal and how much it rents for. But like every year, it's probably increasing with appreciation. Your rent is also increasing every year or every two years. And so by the time you get to year 10, like maybe you were at a 8% cash on cash year one, but you're at like 20% plus, I don't know, $50,000 of appreciation 10 years later. And you've paid down your mortgage Mm -hmm. by a third. So it's you got so many things and you had 10 years of depreciation writing off of your taxes. So it's like, that's why I think people are so scared to jump in because they're like just waiting, like we were talking about for the perfect deal. But there's like, I just say like, just do it. And if you want, like if you lose all your money on the first one, like that's it's not the end of the world. I, I hear people who do it all the time. It's like what you do moving forward after that. Yeah. Because you're paying for your education for the, for the first one and it's yeah. okay. Yeah. And I think if you just have the right mindset of like long-term, like if you do it right, real estate is going to be worth hundreds of thousands of dollars or millions, right? Hopefully. And so losing a few thousand bucks on your first deal is not that big of a deal. Like if you look mm-hmm. at it on a larger scale. And and I think that's just a good reminder for people. Like, it, Yes, it's got its inherent risks, but it, like you said, it's forgiving and you're going to make up for it down the road. And that passive income is 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 what we're what we're after. So yeah, I think it's funny because I'm so not like that with my personal finances. It's like I can't blow like a hundred dollars on anything. But for for real estate, it's like oh four thousand dollar fence. Okay, <laughs> you, know? yep. you just like, have to be careful that you don't switch that into your personal mindset. That yeah. you know, because a couple thousand dollars will hurt your like your mindset and your habits, but in real estate, it's like you're investing in a business and you're investing in educational experiences. So like separate those two experiences. Yeah, perfect. Well said. And I think it's important that as people do research on the Burr method, like you definitely don't expect the perfect Burr every time. Like you're going to leave a few thousand bucks in these deals sometimes. In fact, it was a complete miracle, but I was messaging Brandon Turner. So he's a bigger pockets guy. I'm sure you know who he is. Maybe our listeners don't, but Brandon Turner is a big burr guy. So he always uses the burr method, at least initially as he started. And I asked him like, so it was early on. I'm like, so do I have to make sure I get all my money back on every deal? And he's like, he's like, you know what? Normally I don't get 100% back. Like there's almost always a little bit of cash in the deal. Mm-hmm. And so it was just, it was kind of liberating because like, oh, okay. So it doesn't have to be a perfect one every time. If I leave $2,000 in the deal. So for $2,000, I own a $75,000 asset that's cash flowing 300 bucks a month. And, you know, with the pay down, the appreciation, the tax benefits, I'm like, this is still very worth it. Um, so yeah, definitely 
don't expect that perfect burr every time. I mean, yes, they do happen, but not not they're not the they're not the norm, I guess. For sure. Yeah. So what would you tell so somebody that's trying to um somebody that's I guess trying to get into real estate, whether it's the burr method or whatever they choose, what would your what would be your recommendation to them or some tips to help them get started? Hmm, I would say one is like educate yourself with what like your preferred method of educating, whether it's podcasts, whether it's books, like Bigger Pockets has a bunch of books on legitimately everything. Um, and they're they break it down to such like a digestible level. Um, that and then also building yourself a community of other investors, because I think that it's not really the normal mindset for someone to go about saying, I'm gonna go invest in real estate. Maybe it's a little bit normal these days with bigger pockets, but like I even have friends and family who think I'm absolutely crazy. And if I didn't surround myself with investors and like even like thousands of investors on Instagram, I think that my perspective on scaling and risk and problems that come up day to day would be so different. And with the support of them, like I think that I'm exactly where I should be. I'm doing it right. Like I'm not second guessing um, my decisions based on what friends and family who don't invest say yeah. to me. Yeah, exactly right. So, and it's super easy to to get around those people. Like you said, Instagram, I'm like, you can constantly be fed the success and you know stories and how people are overcoming obstacles just with knowing people on Instagram. That's a huge way. Um, the the Bigger Pockets podcast. I'm sure there's a ton out there. That that was a big thing for me early on as I got started was just hearing other people succeed. Like every day, I was listening to somebody else that overcame whatever obstacles they succeeded. They got to ten doors or whatever. I was like, if they can do it, I can do it. And so that was huge. That's my catchphrase. <laughs> it's exactly yeah. what I, so that's how I started with Bigger Pockets Rookie. The rookie is like everybody just getting started and their stories. It's like, oh, I got one door in year one, you know, which is totally attainable. It's like really normal people every day. And I listened to them for I don't know, like a month before I jumped in and bought my first property. And they were just like such random people, um, just random people who just jumped in. And I was like, well, if they can do it and they're not scared to do it, like I can do it and let's just try it out. So I think that if you can curate, especially your feed and who you listen to and who you allow to let speak into your life, I think that that can just be a powerful way to change your own mindset. And so instead of people saying like, oh, you're crazy or like, oh, maybe you should save a little bit more money. Then you have people constantly a day, like every single day feeding into your mind saying you can do it. And that itself is empowering to just take yeah. action. Yeah, it definitely. It just, it just kind of changes your mindset. If you're seeing people succeed all the time, it just, it gives you that hope or that, that mindset that you can do it too. And that's, that is huge. Um, I think mindset is, you can watch all the YouTube videos and read all the books you want um, on how to do things. But if your mindset's messed up, you're, you're, you're still going to struggle. Like if you just don't believe in it or um, you have whatever limiting beliefs, it's going to, it'll still be difficult and you may not get, you may not get to where you want to be. So that's huge. Yeah. And I think like, just, I mean, expect for the first one to be really scary and really hard and, really, really full speed bumps. But I think after you get through the first one, your mindset 
probably, I won't say will, but probably will be changed um, because you will start to see that you can do it. You'll grow in extra confidence. Um, just doors will start to open. You know, I think that it's kind of a bug that once you buy the first one, you just, you know, you get obsessed with just yeah. buying more. <laughs> but you really do have to get through like the hump of the first one. And that's how it was with me too. Like I freaked out the entire time buying my first one. Um, even yeah, but after that, I was like, no, like this isn't scary. I can do it. And then I went on to buy two more properties and four more doors in like two months later. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I think that that's important is like expect to go wrong. Um, and then you won't go crazy when something does go wrong. Yeah. Yeah. You just, even, but even when you, I mean, that, that's a true principle, even if you're at a hundred doors, like things are going to go wrong. There's always going to be resistance and Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter whether you're trying to buy real estate or you're trying to like grow a business of any kind, like there's always going to be resistance. Like we shouldn't seek a life or a process without resistance. Otherwise there's no, there's no growth in that. There's no, exactly. that's right. And I think yeah, that's- you become so much more resourceful when things are thrown in your face and, and you literally have no choice, but to figure it out because you have $40,000 invested in something and $0 in the bank. So I think that there's, there's no time like being like feet held to the fire to figure stuff out. So I yeah. think like even if you corner yourself into a position like that, it might actually be the best learning experience because now you have no no excuses to make. Like it's just you and you have to figure it out. Yeah. And no two scenarios or no no two paths are the same. Like everybody's gonna have a different scenario. And so no matter how many books you read or how many like what podcasts, YouTube like you're still going to need to make that step and learn in that process. Like nobody's going to be able to teach you everything that you're going to see in that first deal. I mean, maybe, maybe the majority of it, but there's always going to be some nuances that you're going to have to overcome yourself. I just, I've just seen that time and time again, that there's going to be times where you're just going to have to figure it out. I think. For sure. Yeah. Um, so as you have, um, as you, as you talk to other people that are getting started in real estate, and, um, you know, as I know you, you probably, people probably reach out to you, like, how are you doing this? What are you doing? Do a little coaching that way. What are some common mindsets that you see that are impeding people from getting started or taking that risk? I think the most common one is like, there's so many options. I don't know what to pick. Mm-hmm. Um, cause like, obviously there are a lot of options you could house hack you could burr, you could turnkey, you could buy, just buy a conventional house and don't renovate it at all. You know, you can wholesale, you can flip. Um, and I think that, and like that gets multiplied by like, you could do it in any city in the country, you know? And then it just becomes information overload. And it's like, I just don't know where to start because there's so many options. Um, and I think, one is you have to define your goals pretty um, narrowly. So like if your goal is financial freedom, then it's like, well, I don't really want to create a job for myself by wholesaling or flipping. Therefore, like I'm going to do buy and hold rentals and then be realistic. Like I have very little money. So that in that case, I probably have to do the burn method, you know? And then it's like, okay, now where do I do the burn method? And then like we talked about 
throw a dart, you know, (laughs) like ask yourself, like, does it work in my local market? If that's a no, do I know someone in another market who could give me a competitive advantage? Is it an agent? Is it a lender? Is it a contractor or property manager? If your answer is yes, I'd say go there. If your answer is no, then like, again, back to like the throw a dart thing. Yeah. Love that. And so what, um, what book or yeah, you know, what's one of their favorite books that you've read that's helped you out on the real estate side? I guess I guess real estate and then just life in general, like just success in general and business. Hmm. Success in general, I would say like the Malcolm Gladwell, David and Goliath book. I don't know if you've read it, but he has he's just a fascinating yeah. writer. Um, but that one in particular is just about changing your mindset. Um, on all of the things that you perceive to be things that hold you back or that give you um, like a disadvantage in life, and then changing your perspective into how do those things actually help you in life, and how does how do they give you an advantage in life? And so he uses things like um, like dyslexia or like perceived disabilities, and then flipping it around, or like even like childhood traumas. And I guess it's like more people with childhood traumas and disabilities have become CEOs or C-suite people just or like presidents and and people of power because they've had to overcome adversity. Um, And they've had to become creative on how they approach situations. Um, They're also very empathetic toward people and situations. And so I think that, you know, like as a young woman in the business with like no parents in real estate and not very much money. I think it's really easy to tell myself like, Oh, I have so many disadvantages. Um, and like the world is against me. But I think if you turn that around and ask like, how can I use those experiences in my life, um, as advantages to connect with other people, then I think that, that, that book is is fantastic. And yeah. I, it took me months to read it because I would read each chapter and then like digest it. But I'd say it's like one of the most life-changing books I've read. Awesome. That's awesome. I've heard of that book, but I haven't actually read it. So I'm going to... I just added that to my list here. It's okay. so good. Um, just because I invest in real estate out of state, I would say long distance real estate investing by David Green is so... It just like breaks it down step yep. by step by step by step. Um, I honestly should read it again because I read it a little bit ago. But I think, I mean, books like all of the Bigger Pockets books break, they break things down so easily. Yeah. And I honestly don't read too many real estate books anymore because I tend to read forums um, or listen to podcasts. Yeah. Um, but I would say if you just don't know where to start, pick one of those up and start reading. Yeah. Yeah, those books, the the bigger pockets books, definitely are written in a way that's easy to understand. Um, David Green does a great job breaking out the the longest in real estate investing. So for somebody that's in California that wants to invest in the Midwest, like it makes it super simple, and you feel a lot more prepared as you start to venture out into different states. And um, so that's a great book. And it's funny you mentioned that you know that you maybe should read it again. And that's an interesting point because you're now at a different spot than when you read it the first time. And so you'll get answers to questions that you didn't have when you read it the first time. And so mm-hmm. I, you know, some of my favorite books I love to read 
often once a year because I get different insights because I'm a different person. I'm a different place. I have different challenges now. And so I'm always rereading books. Um, some of my favorite books, but yeah. Yeah. There's just a lot of fine tuning to do. It's like in the beginning, my questions were more like, where do I even start? Um, and now my questions are like, how do I deal with contractors? You know, like what is like the ideal pay structure for contractors? Or like, what are the reoccurring maintenance items that I'm forgetting? Um, so there's just like little nitty gritty things that I would have totally skipped over the first time. Um, that when you're further in your investing career, I think it's helpful. I probably will read it five years from now just to see like what else I pick up from um, that. Yeah, you're 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 exactly right. As a new investor, you're focused on like how do I buy a place, right? And then that after you've done it a little bit, you're like okay, well now, like you said, that's different questions and different obstacles that you totally didn't even care about initially. Like I'm not going to worry about maintenance stuff right now. I don't have a property, so let me figure this out first. And you just kind of naturally focus on those things. Mm-hmm. So yeah, definitely reread some of the best books out there. So what do you see? You've got some big goals. What do you see? What's your future? Like, where are you headed now? Such a hard question. If you would have asked me a year ago that I'd be investing in real estate, I'd probably say, no way. Because <laughs> <laughs> I honestly didn't intend to literally yeah. a year ago. Um, and then it just has snowballed into something that I did not expect. And so I honestly don't know, but I like to challenge myself with real estate. And I just, I think it's really fun. And I create such big goals for myself. It's not because I necessarily have to, or I need $20,000 to survive. But to me, that's like a goal where I'm like, that sounds fun. It sounds challenging. Um, it sounds doable. It sounds difficult, um, but it definitely sounds doable. And it would give me such a fantastic life um, to have that much money coming in. And so I think I will continue to buy more properties. And I think that hard money and the burring with hard money has become game-changing. Because yeah. I closed on the last house with uh, $4,500 on the on the closing table and they fund the renovation and so I'm like oh, 4500 bucks like I could save that so I could essentially buy a property every single month if I wanted to and so yeah. that has been awesome yeah um and but I really do want to focus on sort of like the small to mid-sized multifamily next because buying one house at a time is very time consuming and um it's difficult to find a deal. And so if you can find a higher, just a higher priced asset with eight doors under the same roof, I think it's like, it's one roof. You don't have to deal with eight roofs. Um, And you can hand it to a property management company and have some economies of scale. So I think just as like a challenge perspective, I want to move into the multifamily space. And so Right now, um, I gave myself a secret goal of finding a 10 to 30 unit off-market property. Yeah. And so it's a secret goal because uh, I'm I'm going to say I'm going to do it, <laughs> but just not, <laughs> not too publicly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's funny. Yeah. But I think it, just, it would be a good challenge for this year. So I'm all about challenging myself and seeing how far I could push it while still maintaining like a good level of security um, and 
you know, reserves in my bank account. So see what happens. Yeah, no, I love that about setting big goals. I mean, sometimes we don't go after our goals with full commitment because they're not big enough to like change our lives or like really Mm -hmm. stretch us at all. Like there's, we don't, you know, assert like just a goal. It's just, even though it might be a stretch goal, like if it's not going to change our lives, it's sometimes not, not motivated enough. Uh, yeah. or, you know, it's just, and I'm a big believer in setting like ridiculous, be ridiculously big goals. Tell us and, what your goals are. Let's hear that. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I'm trying to get to 25 doors by the end of March, which is like, oh. Whoa. Um, yeah, see, that's exactly right. Yeah. So, which is funny though, because I've learned, I've learned that, um, my mind will think at a different, my mind thinks differently when I have this big goal, like in front of me, like I'll start getting more creative. I'll start thinking, well, like if life depended on it, like how would I do this? If I had to, like, what would I change? How would I get it done? Yeah. There's urgency there. I think urgency is what people lack because they're like, I got stability. And so I, that's so true. And one of the first podcasts I was ever on asked me, um, if a gun was to your head and you had to make $500,000 next year, could you do it? And how would you do it? And I was like, yeah, no, I'd do it. I mean, it's life or death, you know? I give a gun to your head. Yeah. Um, but I feel like that's really stuck to me because I'm like, if I was so sure that I could do it with a gun to my head, like, why aren't I doing it? You know, yeah. what's stopping me? So I think that those that's like the minds that you should have. I mean, don't drive yourself crazy and like run yourself down. But I think that those kind of goals with that kind of urgency will transform your life. And that's kind of what it takes. And so I mean, I love that for you. I, I will be watching you to see, yeah. to see you get there by the end of March. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's see how it goes. And, and I mean, what it's, what it's done is it's forced me to, okay, I've got to figure out, I can't just do hard money. I can't just do my own capital. Like I have to find private investors. So here I am trying to find private investors. Like you just, it's almost, it's just expediting like what I'm trying to do because yeah. I know it's not life or death that I get there, but I'm going to pretend like it is. Yeah. When I get there and it's like 18 doors, you also have to be very okay with 18 doors. Like you can't sure. beat yourself up on it. And um, I know, I think it was Grant Cardone. I don't know if you know Grant Cardone, but he talked, I heard him say once, like he's the king of setting big goals. And I heard him say, he's like, we miss 90% of our targets because they're always so big. But what we accomplish in trying to get there and who we become as a company and our capability is what is where the real value is. And so the next time we set a goal, we're actually more capable of whatever that next goal is. Exactly. Yeah. So, and the reason that it's March rather than the end of the year, I just finished... um, 12 week year. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Just, just read that book. So obviously that that's, that's a great book for helping our, you know, helping create urgency and and um, breaking your goals down into you know weeks and days, months, weeks, days, you know, and then down mm-hmm. to the hours and minutes of what That's you're focusing on. So funny because I made my goals for the year. I usually take a piece of white paper and just brain dump all my goals for the year, and then I turn it over, fold it in four, put Q1, Q2, Q3, Q4, 
And 95% of my year goals fell in Q1. And I was like, that's it. (laughs) But I was like, I got to get past all of this before I can even focus on Q2. And so it it falls in the same category of like, see what you can compress into three months instead of one year. And you will get like infinitely more done. And then, I mean, they might seem big, but then you break them down into weeks and days. And it's like, what's your one big thing that you have to do today? Yeah. It's like, I can do one thing, you know? But if you already set your schedule and it's like, if I do these one things every single day, I'll get there. And yeah. so by day 90, like you've reached your goal and you're ready to start the next year, yeah. which is really like only April. Yeah. No, that's exactly right. I mean, we all see companies or even ourselves, like we get extra intense towards the end of the year because we're trying to make certain milestones. And if we, the idea of the 12 week year is that every 12 weeks there's kind of an end of the year. So we ramp up, we get intense about getting to our goals and our intensity increases. And um, that's, that's where a lot of the gains are is kind of mentally you know tricking ourselves into thinking that there's an end of the year every 12 weeks so you get that that extra push and Mm -hmm. uh, i'm even seeing that like on a weekly basis like sunday i was like well crap i didn't get to my goals for this week i better hurry and check a few things off so it it was it did it did exactly what it's supposed to really yeah for sure that was me last year because i was I like to measure in terms of, of years. And so I was like, I got to close one more. And so I closed one December, I think it was December 31st. <laughs> and I was like, I got to do it. I, like whatever it takes, I'll get it done in 2020. So I can save five doors in 2020. Yeah. <laughs> it definitely fell out. Yeah, I think the biggest breakthroughs I've had have always been on uh, with a big goal and a tight timeline. That's when yep. you get creative. Um, so definitely recommend big goals, tight timelines, and and trick yourself into just getting crazy intense about them. <laughs> and then and then obviously being being okay when you come up a little bit short, like you knew. I mean, it was way better than five goal five doors. Um, you know, you made it to eighteen or whatever, and just being okay with that, and then setting the goal again and and going after it again. So yeah, I think like rewarding yourself along the way is also a great way to stay motivated. So you can make like. I don't know, this is having to do with flips, like thirty or forty thousand dollars on a flip and you feel bad taking a thousand to treat yourself. But to me, it's like, okay, if I make thirty thousand dollars on a flip, I'm taking a thousand and going to a Michelin star restaurant. And yeah. it's like, I want to go to a Michelin star restaurant. And then it's like if I reach 40, I'm giving myself a thousand dollar shopping spree, you know? Yeah. And to me, it's like Real estate to me, I don't know. It's it's really fun, but I feel like if I treat myself in those ways or change it around, and if it's a burr, or like if I leave zero dollars in the pot, then I'm buying myself, blah blah blah. You know, for me, it's like those are because I never buy myself stuff in my personal life, and all my money goes towards real estate. Those are extremely motivating yeah. goals for me. <laughs> exactly. And everyone has a different thing. It's like, but I think that we all like kind of cringe at a thousand or two thousand dollars on vacation but we don't cringe on a thousand or two thousand dollars on real estate so like then treat yourself for succeeding in real estate and then you'll continue to want to do well in your business yeah definitely fueling the fire and 
you have to enjoy the process and you have to enjoy the small wins along the way or you'll go crazy if you don't. <laughs> you, you really will. I mean, if you're driven and you've got big goals, you have to identify those milestones along the way or you'll just, you'll think you're never getting anywhere. Uh, and that can be defeating a little bit. So, yep. yeah, good. So, so what's, what's your why? Like, what are you pushing for? What keeps you going? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Hmm. I mean, I would say like financial freedom, but it just seems so cliche. <laughs> and so I like, I feel like I have so many big creative goals. Like I would love to have the freedom and ability to create like a health and wellness retreat center, some sort of thing, but I will not give myself that luxury until I have a steady base of income beneath me. (laughs) Um, And so that's kind of like, I want my freedom of time to be able to like one, have a family and be able to focus all my time on my family and to be able to focus on creative pursuits, whatever that ends up being. Um, Cause I, I don't know. I came from a family who was, really kind of off like terrible with managing money Mm -hmm. and so it was like a constant argument in the house of like how are we going to manage money and investing was never talked about ever it was at most like saving um which obviously is an ideal and so i think that that i mean that background kind of gave me like the boost i needed to get into investing and to also sort of want to spread knowledge about investing and that and like what financial freedom can do for you and that financial freedom is feasible for anybody like literally anybody if you are willing to put the work in um but then on top of that are just like personal goals of of wanting to be creative with my time yeah well i think that's i think you made a good point like if anybody is going after financial freedom or, you know, and it's like, that's it. Like, okay, I want to be financially free so I can sit on the beach and have a drink and read a book. Right. That's, I think that won't be motivating enough for you. Like hopefully, mm-hmm. hopefully you're going a little bit, you know, yes, financial freedom, but then why, like, what's the why beyond that? Like, what are you going to do with that financial freedom and the time that you free up by, by arriving there? And yeah keeping and asking yourself why 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 like several times like really digging down to like what you truly want to do with that time is ultimately that why is what's going to get you through the difficult days and the times that you're like i hate this i don't want to do this anymore and because um anyway that's seeking financial freedom because they want a life without resistance and just tons of free time like that's not going to be rewarding because they think it's going to be. exactly so i'm writing an ebook actually um, at the moment on like how to buy your first property. And chapter one is goals and strategies. And I spend an entire couple pages talking about like exactly this um, and how to find, like keep digging deeper into your why. And so I was in a mastermind where, and during one, we had to basically like imagine our life 10 years from now and write it down, like very specifically, like what are you doing today? And who are you with? And where do you live? And where are you? And what do you spend day to day doing? And like very detailed journal entries of like why, like what do you, like what does your ideal life look like? Because you can essentially do anything in ten years. Like you can make your life whatever you want it to be in ten years. And I think that's actually a really difficult 
exercise for a lot of people because they're they've never thought beyond like I will be at a desk working a nine to five. I will be taking care of my children, you know. And so people just don't see beyond like what they have seen their parents do or what they see their friends do or like what TV shows or or like what society shows. And so I think that if you could get outside of that and say like, ideally, like what is my most abundant self look like? You know, I think that that can be very liberating to know that that's actually a possibility. Um, some people just like need someone to help them get there. <laughs> and that's, that's like kind of what coaching is for is like someone being able to hold your hand and say, that's 100% absolutely doable. Like, let's find your way to get there. Yeah. Yeah. That's perfect. Yeah. You've got to have a deep understanding of like, if you don't have to go to a nine to five, what are you going to do with your time? Like what, what's, what's that abundant life that you're seeking? That's perfect. So, um, what is a trait that you see in people that succeed? Um, like what's a common trait that you see that separates those that succeed from those that don't or struggle? This is also a line in my ebook. This is so funny. (laughs) Consistency. Because I think that, I mean, that's the thing. It's like consistency and habits. Like it's, it's everything. It's your habits are just who you become. And so I think that if you do something like here and there, you do make a little action, it's it's never going to amount to anything. But if you do a little action every day, like there's a book called, I think it's called like Tiny Habits or something. Have you read that? Mm-hmm. It's, really, it's like do one push up a day. Like it's a tiny thing. Mm-hmm. But soon you're going to be like, no, like I did one push up. I'm just going to do two because it's because I'm here. Might as well, you know. <laughs> and then day three, you're like, yeah, I'll just do three. Like it's not that hard, you know. And they really start to snowball into actual action so that when you look back, it's like, wow, like I actually did something. And that adds to your confidence. And then you know you could do it. Like I think the consistency is like by far one of the most, it's the hardest thing to develop for most people. Um, but it's, it's important. And I'd say the other thing is resourcefulness. I like get a lot of questions every day. Um, on like super simple things or on like, well, we have the internet. Why don't you just like, I don't want to be mean, but just like Google it. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Google that. Come on. Yeah. It's like, I don't know. Like I got a lot of DMs. Like I like Google it. You know, I wish there was just an automatic reply. <laughs> um, no, but it's so true. Like if you want to know what the best markets are for real estate investing, Google like, it. Google yeah. it. there's like, so many reports out there. I mean, yes, yeah. obviously you kind of check the facts, but there's a lot of answers out there. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, resourcefulness is like you have the internet, you have hundreds of investors on platforms like Bigger Pockets, on Facebook, all over Facebook groups, like on Instagram, you can message them. You could have meetup.com, like go find a mentor, go find an accountability partner. Um, but like stop making excuses and be resourceful. I think I learned that from my day job because my boss got tired of me asking him questions and he's like, I want you to pretend like I'm the CEO yeah. and you don't come to me until you have done absolutely everything in your power to find the answer. And so I like, I literally did. I'm like, I'm so sorry. I'm going to be resourceful. Um, but that really trained me. Like, let's do everything in my power before, before I ask my real estate agent so I don't waste their time, yeah. you know, or I ask the contractor because I don't want him to not trust me and think I'm wasting his time. And so I think that consistency, 
and resourcefulness is like that's basically all you need to real estate is it's not that hard like there's a lot of people doing it um but if you have those two things you will be fine that's perfect thank you this has been awesome so um tell us do you have a guess on when the ebook will be ready and where should they go when they want to want to try and find that or do we not want to talk about that yet I'm trying to write as fast as I can, um, but I have not written since like early college. <laughs> it's trying to yeah. get back in the groove of things, but I mean, maybe like a month from now. So okay. uh, end of February, early March-ish. Um, and then it'll be on my website, which is lattesandleases.com. Um, or I mean, I'm sure I'll announce it many times on my Instagram at lattes.and.leases. And you can find me there. So send me a message, but Google your questions first. (laughs) Otherwise, you'll get a Google that back, right? (laughs) I'm going to make myself a sticker that says, kindly Google that. (laughs) Hashtag Google that. Yeah, Google it first. Awesome. Well, this has been such a great conversation. Um, I really think the Burr Method is a strong place to start. It's got some awesome... uh, benefits to it as far as making your capital go a really long ways and helping you scale. And I love the conversation we've had around mindset and uh, consistency, resourcefulness, using Google if you can. And uh, this is awesome. Any any final tips or any final advice for our listeners before we, before we sign off? Just do it. Yeah. Uh, take action. <laughs> I would say that's honestly just like get over that fear of having things to like have to be perfect. I understand it's all part of the process that real estate is very forgiving and that you have an incredible support system if you look for it. So just like jump in, take the leap. You'll be okay. Perfect. Spot on. Well, thank you. Hopefully we talk again soon. For sure. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Money Maven Project Podcast. A true maven shares knowledge with others. So be sure to share this podcast and leave a review. Thanks so much. And until next time, live life with intention.